Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are exploring the digital revolution and all of its many ramifications, the changes it's having in our personal lives, in the business world, organizational structures. And, you know, lately we've seen a rise in some things from cybercrime, uh, changing business models, new executives coming into different companies with different ideas about what needs to be done. And so I'm very delighted, as always, to have one of our real big picture thinkers, Wayne Saden, is with us today to talk about some of that. Uh, Wayne has been a CIO, a CTO, and a CDO, and Wayne now advises boards of directors and CEOs on how best to deploy digital technology for great business outcomes. Wayne, pleasure to have you with us. Always uh, enjoy our conversations. And as always on this end, it's great to be here and great to be talking with you, Bob. Wayne, thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so, Wayne, please just start up. I know there were three pretty cool things you wanted to talk about. How about if you give a little synopsis of the three and then dive in on the first? Sure. So the three things that have come to my mind uh, since we last talked was obviously in the news this week was Accenture being taken by ransomware. This is a company that is $45 billion and advises people on how not to get hacked by ransomware. So we got to spend a minute talking about what that meant and, and what we know in two days. Uh, the second thing was I came across a terrific McKinsey article about how technology is affecting business and how business should be using technology. And I rarely, never in the three years we've been together, have read quotes from an article as my topic, but there are things that just have to be said and business has to hear. And the third thing is I've been working with a lot of CFOs lately. And of course, I've worked with CFOs forever. And it's time that I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with CFOs about where IT belongs. So th those are my three topics. Uh, Wayne, that's great. I think this overview, I, I, I maybe want to start doing this with you because you just bring a really wide ranging set of ideas, your expertise, your experience and your guidance on things are really valuable. So, gosh, what an ironic thing, right? One of the world's preeminent sort of services advisory companies that tells people how not to get nailed by ransomware runs into, uh, into that itself. Crazy, crazy. But, you know, Bob, it, it proves the point that anybody can be taken. Uh, there's the John Chambers quote I use. We talked about this in detail, you know, two months ago when another company was uh, taken by ransomware. And there's a John Chambers quote. The world is divided into two kinds of companies, those that have been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked. And so here's Accenture in that first category now. And, and it's not the first time they've been hacked in some way, by the way. But, you know, it's only been two days and we don't know everything, but let's just dive deep on what we know. So on Wednesday, a reporter revealed that they had been hacked, that somebody on the dark web was offering their uh, private content for sale and was announcing. this. So a reporter broke the story. Other reporters broke additional information. And then over a period of about uh, six, eight hours, Accenture came on and said, yeah, we've been hacked. We got it. We found it quick. We contained it. It affected our business, not at all. We leak no confidential customer data and we're moving forward. We've restored all the data and we're fine. Now, even today you're seeing stuff uh, bandied about that there's some material for sale, that there's supposedly a $50 million ransom demand on, an, uh, on Accenture, but we don't know any more than what we know so far. So, so that's kind of the facts of the story. And the interesting thing 
is they uh, what first I'm talking to board of directors, talking to CEOs. I'm shocked that Accenture was scooped by a reporter. When you know you've been breached and you are a company held in such high regard, the first thing to do is start your crisis team and your crisis process, and it involves making a statement to the public. You want to beat the reporters to this, or you're always playing defense. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, rule one in any crisis playbook, get out ahead of the story. So that's the one thing I'll ding them for. But what we know so far was they detected it quickly. They contained it quickly. They repelled it quickly. They recovered quickly. And now they're obviously going to strengthen their defenses. So if you look at what I said two months ago, I laid out six tenets for a business. And what I talked about was robust prevention. Keep them out. Well, that didn't work. So they failed on the first one. But then quick detection. We don't know how long they were resident, but Accenture said we found them quickly. Um, defense in depth. Accenture also said none of our confidential material was leaked. So the circle they broke into was a lower security circle. And Accenture says they contained them within that. So kudos to them for locking interior doors. Um, keeping your secret secret. They said stuff was encrypted, so they couldn't leak it. Again, we'll see over time what came out. And then effective repair and restoration. And then having good backups. So Accenture, except for the first item, appears to have done very, very well, as we hope and expect they should have. Um, so that's the story so far, but it's a lesson to everybody. It can happen to you. And when it happens to you, the key is to get them out quick, fix the damage, and be able to recover. And that's what appears, where it appears Accenture is today. Well, Wayne, you know, first, <clears throat> setting aside the uh, specific case of Accenture, I think uh, it's fascinating in its own right. And, you know, good for them for doing pretty well across the board of your, your six points. But I just want to see, uh, maybe to, to promise to everybody, we'll try to include the six points in the, the episode notes for today. But also, Wayne, this is, a, this is sort of crying out to be, you know, an article that uh, we should put up and promote pretty heavily on Cloudwars because you're you're coming across the board here with people. Not a lot of you know uh, technical detail about what sort of security tools you should use, but the strategic level, as you said, you know from the board, you've got to put this into practice. And even this sort of uh, additional point out in front of that, but you know it it is going to happen to a certain percentage of companies. Don't try to hide it. Don't hope nobody will notice. Get out in front of the story, Wayne. Great, great perspectives on things. So that's good advice. And, you know, the June episode, we talked quite a bit about that. The six points and the six and a half specific things you could do. So maybe we will turn that into an article. Um, I think it's, it's time we get this out to the boards and CEOs that you don't have to be a geek and you don't have to be a CISO and you don't have to have a degree in computer science to understand how to lead and manage the protection of your company's assets. Yeah, and I think I just like the way you've laid it out here in uh, logical steps. They are not simple. I mean, it wasn't a simple thing you put together. It draws on all your experience, but they're pretty simple to understand, right? You know, as you just sort of walk through those, uh, the 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 execution of it will take some detail, but that's why you've got teams of specialists who really understand how to do this. But you're describing, Wayne, I think an end-to-end -end commitment top to bottom inside the company, right? This is not some isolated 
thing. It can go yell at uh, the security team about this is everybody's responsibility because it could be crippling to companies that did not have that quick detection, didn't uh, have the ability to contain and didn't have the ability to get them out quickly. Absolutely. And if you take it from the board level on down, these are the things the boards should be asking. If you remember the tone of our piece a couple months ago was these are things the board and CEO should be asking. And it was triggered by so many people writing that this stuff is so technical that I'll leave it to the experts and they're speaking in jargon. And, you know, I've been doing this so long. Anybody that can't explain was if you can't explain it to a high school student, you truly don't understand it. Now, I don't want to compare boards to high school students. That's not fair to high school students in many cases. But I do want to say <laughs> that we have to be able to talk about this technical wizardry in business terms. And a board has to be able to say, here are some things I want to know about. Show me that you're doing these things. Give me an example. Give me a sample. Now, if you want to dig deeper, if you're doing a mergers and acquisitions, and you're doing due diligence, you need to send somebody like, like me or somebody with more technical tools to go find out the secrets. Remember, there was one hotel chain bought another hotel chain and discovered that they had bought uh, advanced persistent threats living in the target they bought. And so Starwood infected Marriott, and that was a debacle, and one that potentially could have been avoided if they had done their homework. And so th this is the kind of message I want to bring forward to boards, uh, bring forward to CEOs, to CFOs, even to CIOs, who may have the tendency to take the stuff from their team and bubble it up in technical brilliance when it's really about some sound business process, uh, uh, processes. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, great, great stuff there. So at a high level, Wayne, you know, uh, you're talking about how to keep the bad guys out. And then the McKinsey article seems to be about how you bring the great ideas and innovation in and let that sort of permeate throughout the organization. Well, you know, I read the McKinsey article just a little differently. I read the McKinsey article as, uh-oh, it's almost too late if you're not doing that. So the reason I think that's so important, and, and as I said, I've never done uh, quotes from an article as a topic, but this is so important and so timely. And, and so powerful when I read it, um, I, we ought to put this article link in the notes okay. because everybody should go read the article. Now, this is McKinsey surveying people, not Wayne sitting in a room going, I think this is the truth. This is McKinsey surveying people and companies and saying, these are the ones that are ahead and these are the ones that are not. So the article is the new digital edge, rethinking strategy for the post-pandemic era. And it's obviously specifically to the acceleration economy, the next normal, what is the pandemic and that year of introspection gonna do, the year of opening or two years of opening? So a couple of, of key quotes from this article. The future will belong to companies that put technology at the center of their outlook, capabilities, and leadership mandate. Outlook, capabilities, and leadership. So outlook, of course, is what are you gonna do with it? Capabilities are, can you do it? And leadership is, do you have the talent to do it? And as we talk about technology for three years, it comes down to talent more than anything else. You can have the biggest budget and you can have the best pile of stuff. And if you don't know how as business executives to harness that stuff and that investment, you're just going to go in circles that are maybe ever faster with your better technology. 
And so I took that as a very, very important kind of uh, quote to frame this whole discussion. I mean, it's almost uh, a little bit insidious or dangerous, right? In those sort of organizations, they'll say, well, how can we not be doing well? Look, we, we've spent so much money on technology thinking that the acquisition mm -hmm. of tech is the, uh, is the thing that's going to make it work. And as you've said before, that's, that's a piece, but it is by no means the, the entire piece or the most important piece. Right. Many of the things we want to do, and we'll veer off into digital transformation, which we talk about a lot, it's culture, products, markets, customer experience, employee experience. Notice I didn't say the word technology in that sentence. So I can have the best technology. I had a client say to me once, you built us a guided missile. Now, where are we aiming it? Uh -huh. And they weren't asking me, they were asking the CEO. <laughs> Uh, that's the challenge. I can develop great technology, but I have to have something that I want to do with it that will make money or make a change to the world or help me execute on my mission. And so I think that's just vital. And, and we talk about it so much. So here's the scary McKinsey thing. By 2023, that's two years, most companies will need to build new digital businesses to stay economically viable. New digital businesses. Now, that could be enhancing your current business and adding an information component. Um, a long time ago, I described a, a client that was in the widget business. They built a widget that let customers collect data about their operation. And I said to the client, why are we in the widget business? Why aren't we in the data business? What if we could tell the clients, here's based on the data we got from you and everybody else in your industry, you are the best or here's where you can improve, or here's what you want to show your regulator or your insurance carrier about how good you're doing. Uh, it's that kind of thinking. Could I take my business and expand it digitally? Or do I want to go into an entirely new business as part of a digital transformation? But bear in mind what they said, 2023, yeah. how many businesses of any size or scale are going to rethink their process, their product, their markets, their employee experience, their customer experience in the next two years? That's why I said it's almost like if you didn't start last year when the pandemic was hitting, you may be um, running behind. Yeah, speed is you know probably at the top of the list. Yes, you've got to do the right things in the right way, have the right people, but the, the ability to do that uh, at the speed at which the world's changing, the market's changing, customers are demanding, and you know the the where the growth opportunities reside, it it is so critical. So I, I'm I'm glad that. McKinsey got pretty aggressive on that, you know, sort of that imposed deadline that it gave people, two years. Mm -hmm. Now, when you and I talked about it a year ago, I <clears> said 2022. <throat> so they're giving people another year than I thought, but yeah. they work with bigger companies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, and, you know, to, to the points we're making, the acceleration economy is about speeding up your IT and speeding up your business. It's about how do you, how does IT, because that's what I do, how does IT support faster business decisions and faster business execution? And, you know, we've talked about that quite a bit, and we'll talk about it some more. And that really ties in with the CFO topic a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so the third quote is post-pandemic. A majority of companies view technology capabilities as a strategic differentiator. And I think that's what you and I have been talking about for a long time. We're, we're preaching to the, to the choir here. We believe, I think, and a lot of people who watch this probably believe that this is true. But this is a McKinsey story 
And remember, they don't write to CIOs. They write to CEOs and CFOs and board members. So this is the message they're getting to that group. Um, the highest performing companies made bolder investments in technology and possess stronger overall capabilities. So it's both having capability and it's making, taking risky, uh, bold investments. What are we going to do to transform? Remember, digital transformation is not digital optimization. Better and faster and cheaper. Yeah, Wayne, great, great point there. The combination of capabilities and the investments, and they didn't just say bigger investments, but bolder investments. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't always agree with the conclusions or the directions that McKinsey goes in, but I, from what you've, you know, your first few, that they, they've really nailed this one pretty, pretty nicely. That's why I said it really got my attention when I read it. You know, I, re I get a lot of stuff from the consulting companies and I read them and I go, yeah, this would be good to make, you know, use a quote in a, in, a, in a story one day. Yeah. But this one really got me because it's not, again, it's not McKinsey thinking about this stuff. It's a survey. They analyze performance. So this is very important and cuts to the heart of a lot of what we talk about. Tech savvy leadership helps set top performers apart and will be even more valuable in the future. And what they don't mean here is go get a smarter CIO. They mean tech-savvy leadership from the board on down. And, and this is a kind of a message. You can't be ignorant or willfully blind to what your technology can do. And I'll say this, like I've said it so many times, it's not about knowing how this stuff works if you're a non-technologist. Any more than I have to understand the int intricacies of gap accounting to do a budget. I just have to know what the rules are. I just have to know what the capabilities are. And so the leadership has got to get more embracing of technology. This is not something they do over there. This is something we do in here. And the article goes on and categorizes by board and CMO and CFO and CIO and, and CHRO. But all of these groups of executives and their teams have got to become more tech savvy. Uh, Bob, the interesting thing, of course, is, and I hate to say it's generational, but I'll say a little bit, the people in C-suite jobs tend to be more my age than they are the age of, you know, my 28-year-old daughter. And so their view of technology, how technology has shaped their worldview is quite a bit different. And so it's not the lower level managers the, and the, the doers that we have to convince, it's the leaders we have to convince. They're the ones that need the most shaking up the most rethinking, the most recommitment to learning technology. And again, that's what this article is aimed towards. And that's what we all have to focus on, whether it's people like us talking to leaders or people below pushing up on their leaders to, hey, you need to really understand this. You can't just, you know, say, skip those slides in the PowerPoint, <laughs> or I don't need to see that demo. You guys figure it out. Yeah. It's not okay. Yeah. Those implications. And then Wayne, the other thing that goes with that, and I think it's it's clearly there in what you've said so far, but I don't think it could be overemphasized is, you know, they don't have, uh, we don't have the option of time here to say, okay, CHRO, go put together a training program so that we, we get this all nailed down in the next six to nine months. Uh, that's, uh, it's just way too long. So the urgency to move, to get these things going, to make some changes. And the other thing, Wayne, that I think comes along with this, these org structures are going to be changing in front of our eyes as well, because if you change every part of how your business operates, 
to get to that new digital business, then you're not going to have the same structure, the same responsibilities and so forth. So um, build that, those sets of expertise that people have, make them flexible and make sure that each person in there knows what's going on two or three steps to the left and two or three steps to the right in the process, a very, very different world. Absolutely. It's a world that's much more inclusive and much more team oriented, and much less command and control. Again, a topic we've talked about, I think probably a long time ago, was traditional middle management, the layer between the factory worker or uh, clinician delivering healthcare and that executive ranks. The whole point of middle management was to distill the data at the low level and send it up in increasingly skewed form and then transmit the commands of the leadership down to the rank and file. Okay. Digitization has removed so much of that. If you're a modern CEO with a modern dashboard, you can drill down right to the assembly line, right to the truck, um, right to the point of sale. And so a lot of the value of middle management as a aggregator and as a translator is gone. And so we've got to rethink the whole meaning of supervisory and, and middle management. We have people set strategy. We have people who go implement strategy. And then we have people who deliver our services. And I'll leave that to some of the big thinkers in organizational behavior. But clearly, it's changing. And as more people go home to work or work from wherever, the cohesiveness, I'm in the IT department. I can walk in and see my domain that's gone away. My domain is a virtual org chart that I can click on and say, I wonder who that is and where they are. And so we've got to build an environment where people are able to self-manage better. And, and now the beauty, and I hate to say the beauty of a pandemic, because I don't mean it to sound that way. That's like liking something really bad in you know, uh, Facebook. But the, the, the opportunity presented by the disruption of the pandemic is to rethink, to build a more diverse, a more inclusive, a more self-managing a more self-organizing workforce that is not just doing what somebody told them to do, but delivering value for a client and delivering value for the employer. And we've got to, we got to trust people to do that because we can't see them and crack the whip over them. And, you know, that whole 19th century model of the green eye shades and the, the rolled up sleeves at the desk, the world has changed and we've got to recognize it. And we have an opportunity, the great reset, uh, the great resignation, uh, the great everything that everybody wants to talk about, but it's really coming. And so the, the summary for the McKinsey thing, I can summarize it in, in one sentence, what I read in this article, but I re recommend reading the article. Get more technical in your skills and capabilities. Get going, because 2023 is around the corner, and get educated, especially if you're in management or executive leadership or the board. Okay. Hey, Wayne, before we... Uh... Before we jump over to your conversations with CFOs, I'm really looking forward to that because you're, it sounds like you're going to, um, you know, give them some pretty compelling things to think about. You mentioned a minute ago green eye shades. I always wonder what what was the magic of the green eye shade? What could you see through a green eye shade that you couldn't see without it? Well, I'm going to tell you something funny. Many years ago, my first CIO job, I worked for a bank, and they showed me because they had a lot of uh, veneration of history that they used to keep the ledger books. So before they had computers, the way they kept the ledger book was they had custom pads printed that were like six feet wide and three and a half feet high. And they had them on a tilted board and the bookkeeper 
put on the green eye shade to filter the light so it didn't reflect into his or her part at the time <laughs> eyes off the white paper. And they actually put their arm in a sling. So you carried your arm in a sling that was counterweighted so that you didn't smudge the pencil writing as you moved across the ledger pad. Um, All right. So there was a value for the, the rolled up sleeves or so you don't smear the ink that you just wrote with your ink pen to enter the general ledger entries. Well, I'm, I'm laughing about this, Wayne, but also with a lot of humility, because I know that it'll be 5, 10, 15 years from now, people look back and say, now, what were those people doing in 2021? Why would they, anybody ever do it that way? What did this stuff mean? But for now, it's pretty cool. We'll, we'll take it. So, Wayne, what's going on with CFOs? What's what's message would you offer to them here in the mix of all these you know extraordinary things going on? Our sponsor, BMC, has some... Uh, ideas that fit right in here with what you've got going on. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. Uh, so talk about CFOs. You know, I've worked for CFOs as a CIO for decades. My first CIO job, in fact, I was promoted by the CFO to whom IT reported. Um, and, but over the last month, I've had a number of conversations with CFOs about varying topics, topics about finance, topics about IT, topics about the business in, in general. And so I thought it's probably a good time to give some advice, some straight talk to CFOs about IT. And that's what I want to do in this segment. So let's start with the first question. Why does IT report to finance? Many years ago, it almost exclusively reported to the CFO. Now it's still among small companies, medium-sized companies. It is very common for it to report other than to the CEO and mostly to the CFO. So let's go back in history. We talked about the green eye shades in the books. Um, let's talk about why IT started reporting to CFOs. So go back 50, 60 years. The first people put technology in, the first computers went in, in the 1950s. That's 70 years ago. And so 70 years ago, 60 years ago, as banks started to automate, or insurance companies started to automate, uh, big grocers started to automate, the companies that had a lot of transactions. So what's the first thing they automated? They automated accounting. They automated what we made, what we sold, what we bought. We automated payroll. We, we, we create a system of record. Remember, the systems of record were the first thing we built. We're going to keep the same record. And you brought up the green eye shades. It's perfect. What we used to do in those giant pads became the first thing we automate. And who was the client? CFO. They run the accounting department. That's the factory that manufactures numerical transactions, if you will. They run the payroll department, typically payroll work for um, the accounting function. So they were the keeper of the systems of record and a logical um, customer of IT. That's number one. Number two, in those days, everything lived on the mainframe. So when you wanted to automate, what did you do? You built a building called the data center. And then you put millions of dollars worth of computers in it. And if I was the CIO, actually the VP of DP is what they called him at the time. Yes. So 
that was actually my first CIO title wasn't really CIO it was VP of IT and so they the uh, acquisition of a new asset I got to grow the business we just did an acquisition we need new capabilities I would go to the CFO and ask for eight million dollars or 12 million dollars I needed a new mainframe and, and by the way that meant I needed a new chiller which means I needed a new thing on the roof I need a new power panels. I need to strengthen the raised floor where we put everything. I needed to get a new telecommunications controller where we put thousands of these beep, beep, boop, 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 modem cables. I'm asking people to think back to yesteryear when TV was black and white and people like me pushed carts with green bar paper on it, you know, as a kid. So it made perfect sense when you're asking the for millions of dollars to have a CFO as the person to keep an eye on. And then of course, IT sprang up from people who were techies. The pe first people in IT didn't think, I'm gonna go get an MBA in technology. They thought, wow, isn't Fortran cool? <laughs> and so not to, not to ding my, my peers, but a lot of people came up in IT without the traditional business background. They were not skilled in budgeting. They were not skilled in finance. They were not skilled in cash flow. And so it made sense to tuck them in under this, the uh, CFO. So it all made perfect sense. And there's one other thing. So I'll, I'll just say this. The CEO had no idea what IT was going to be. They had no idea that in 2021, McKinsey would say what they did or that their business depended on IT in every aspect, whether you're in construction, manufacturing, financial services, or the traditional electronic business, you know, the Googles and so on. It permeates everything we do, but nobody could have predicted that. Even people working in IT never imagined that. But there is one really good thing, and, and one thing that really makes a lot of sense that I'm not sure people imagine. There are only two functions in the corporation that see across the silos, other than the CEO who looks down on the silos. The CFO looks at the financial flows. Here's sales, or here's marketing, to sales, to production, to shipping, to customer support. They see across all those silos how the money moves. And the CIO sees how the rest of the data moves. They see how the manufacturing data moves and the order management data moves and the financial data. So in one sense, we speak a common language. The CFO's perspective on an organization is generally less you and you and you and you and more about how it gets from raw material cash in the bank through the value chain to end product is more cash in the bank mm -hmm. and so we do think alike in a lot of ways and so that's why it's been so comfortable for so many decades for the cfo to feel like they had the right mandate to run it so, so that's that's kind of the history yeah, and Wayne, you know, I, I this all it, it makes sense a lot. And gee, it would be interesting to find like who were the first two or three companies and leaders in those companies that said, you know what, this has worked up until now, but it's not the model for the future. We need to have uh, this whole IT capability and potential more broadly uh, affiliated with the entire organization. You know, I spent my early days after I was an engineer, I spent my early days in IT in banking in New York on Wall Street. And so I worked at Citibank as a consultant when uh, John Reed came, was an engineer, came out of the basement where the check processing was done and wound up as a CEO of the bank. 
And so I'll say that I'm going to guess that it was financial services companies where, the, again, the famous Citibank quote, well, famous if you're a banker, Walter Riston, the founder of the organizer of Citibank, said information about money is as valuable as money itself. And he said that in the early 70s or late 60s. Nobody's quite sure. The investment bankers all heard that. And that's why they are the masters of the universe. They manage the information about money. They got it. And so I'm going to guess without knowing the history that it was those kind of companies that first said to the geeks in the basement, come out of the basement and come tell us what I can do. Because the stuff, when I was a consultant at Morgan Stanley and Citibank, the stuff both of those companies were doing in the 70s and early 80s were light years ahead of stuff that other industries were doing. After I moved into other industries, I quickly learned how good it was to be educated at the New York banks and New York financial institutions, because they were so far ahead. Um, and they were realizing that there was a value to this information stuff more than just adding up the numbers at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It allowed them to build the products. It allowed them to, to run their businesses in a very new way. So my guess, and maybe somebody knows and they can comment when they see the video, I'm going to guess it was big banks or big insurance companies, financial companies. Yeah. So, so let's talk about where we are today. The first statement I'm going to make is perspective is worth 40 points of IQ. What I know in my CIO role and what the CFO knows in his or her CFO role well, the CEO talks to both of us and we hear that. Moving down a level and reporting to the CFO, I will know less because I'm not in the same meetings. I'm not privy to the same data. So that, that statement is very, very true. I've seen it time and again. Why does your boss always seem to know stuff or make decisions you can't make? It's because they've told your boss stuff that they haven't told you. Now, a great boss will make sure they're transparent and they tell you everything they know. But there's a problem. We're all functional executives until you get to the CEO and board level. I came up through engineering and then IT. The CFO came up generally through either FP&A, uh, financial planning and analytics or analysis, or came up through M&A, you know, mergers and acquisitions, buy side, sell side, Wall Street, or came up in the accounting factory, the controllership function or the treasury function. They see things their way. The head of sales sees things their way. The CHRO sees people is the most important thing. So they see it through their own functional lens. Now, when I think about it, lenses have two capabilities. A lens magnifies. So if I'm the CFO, what do I think? Financial is the most important. If I'm the CHRO, what do I think? People are the most important. If I'm the CIO, guess what I think? So it magnifies. And so things that affect their area are seen as paramount, partly because that's how they grew up and partly because that's how they get their bonus and how they get kudos and how their team gets recognition. Um, the other thing lenses do is they distort. Mm -hmm. They make things bigger, but you know, objects are smaller in the mirror than you think. And so the CFO, and, and not picking on a CFO, but the CFO focused over here on how can I improve the bank reconciliation? Because that's super important. Or the new international tax law that I have to deal with might be letting manufacturing go by the wayside because, ah, oh, that's just manufacturing, and they'll find a way around it. And so that's the problem with reporting to a functional manager as an IT person. I said IT sees across the entire company, across the silos, but you have to be at that level. 
Now, let me recount a typical IT, or sorry, a typical CFO staff meeting. I've been to hundreds of them in my career. So you're sitting around a table, you're the head of IT, and around the table is also the head of internal audit, the head of tax, the head of treasury, um, the head of control, the controller, the person that account, runs the accounting factory. And you'll discuss the financial statements, you'll discuss the ups, upcoming disclosure, the Ks, the Qs, the whatever, uh, the F-14As and, and all that stuff. That'll be a big topic, especially as you get close to board meetings. You'll discuss this new development in tax law, this new gap standard. And I got to tell you, as an IT professional sitting around a two-hour meeting where one hour and 50 minutes is talking about the intricacies of global tax and gap, there are times when your eyes glaze over and then they go, oh yeah, wait, Wayne, uh, what do you got to tell us from IT? Oh, sorry, we got to go. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's how these meetings have run since the dawn of staff meetings. That, imagine now you're in the CEO staff meeting. What are you talking about? The head of marketing says, I've got a problem with this product. Customers are giving me bad feedback, right? Or the or our competitor's killing us. The head of manufacturing says, I got a problem on that line. We're going to be late. Somebody else comes in and R&D says, we have this great new thing that we've got to develop, but how do we commercialize it? Just the, the nuggets that fall off the table are invaluable as a technologist. I can't teach the business people everything I know about technology. And I don't know what to teach them until I know what keeps them up at night. And so that to me, when you think about the McKinsey story, it's that technology is embedded in everything we do. It's not just bookkeeping. It's not just adding stuff up. It's not just systems of record. And unless the CIO is privy to that discussion, you're just not gonna know what's around the next corner that you should be either advising them about, did you know I've got technology that can do that? Or gee whiz, if you had technology that could do that, what could you do with it? And when you filter that through a CFO or through a CMO or through a CHRO, whoever you report to, they're gonna naturally see things differently and they're gonna maybe miss something that I with my IT antenna up would go, oh, wow but any functional executive may not say the same, oh, wow. And that's what you need. You need that teamwork, that synergy between technology and the leadership to say, I can fix that, or I didn't know you had that problem. Because so much of what happens in a company is the silos kill us, especially in a medium to big company. We just don't know what's going on, so we don't know what to focus on. Yeah, yeah and uh, Wayne, the... Again, I think coming back to the nature of change and the degree of change, the pace of change, uh, the significance of it over the next few years, which aligns with that, uh, you know, McKinsey timeline out to 2023. I, I don't have an idea. I don't know if there's research or if you've seen some somewhere. How many organizations would you say right now have the CIO reporting to the CFO versus the CEO? Well, if you look at the biggest and most uh, successful companies, they're almost always IT being a member of the executive leadership team. Yes. And when I was in financial services, I have to say, I always reported as a peer to the CFO. In other industries, in industries that are seen as laggards or where they don't realize that technology matters in manufacturing, in logistics, in construction, in uh, service industries, in healthcare, you might find IT reporting to a CFO or to a chief administrative officer. I once reported to a head of sales and marketing. 
which was nightmarish because every time he got a call from a client with a problem, he would call me up and say, I don't, I don't want you to work on that. Go work on this. Well, wait a minute. Yesterday you told me to work on that. Well, I don't care. Today you're going to work on this. <laughs> so Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> you worked in it. You worked for some sales-driven organizations, I know. Yes, yes, yes. There's a the very short memory. Uh, it's just the the length of the last phone call. I get it. And and so so that's the challenge for us is these organizations. It's partly they don't realize the technology matters to them. So they don't have it reporting high enough up because it's not reporting high enough up. They don't realize why it should matter to them. And so you spend your time as a, a IT director. And by the way, when I say IT director, I know at least one $10 billion company that has their head of IT called the IT director. And it doesn't report to the CFO. It reports a level below the CFO to the controller. And it's a $10 billion energy company in Texas. Um, and I tried to, I tried vainly to get them to rethink that model. Just didn't matter to them. IT was about getting 50,000 PCs out on people's desks. Yeah. And they were essentially fulfillment. IT was a fulfillment function and a, and a support function. I think, Wayne, it comes into that notion that, that, that saying, which, you know, uh, applies in certain cases. It seems not in the business world, it applies less and less was if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I think that's. Uh, a terrible, terrible strategy or outlook for companies today. We've got to constantly be, if not fixing, refining what we already have because uh, the, the things that were terrific in 2019 are not going to cut it in this year, next, certainly not next year. Um, Wayne, it is, uh, <laughs> it's been an interesting saga there. So I, I love what uh, your thoughts here about the CEO says, hey, CFO, I want the CIO to report to you. You've got a pretty good idea about what the response should be. Yeah, the response should be, no thanks. Uh, the re but but this, I will say this. It's not that the CFO should be divorced from the process. The CFO has a great role in this. Yeah. But the CFO probably has plenty of other things to do. And it's it's not... I want to say the CFO should be enlightened enough to say, there are reasons I shouldn't be running this. But quite frankly, you know, I typically pick on the board and the CEO as the groups that ought to be making these structural decisions. How you organize the company is not a functional C-suite executive's role. It's the board's role. The board should be saying to the CEO, why aren't we hearing more from the IT function? The board should be saying to the CEO, where is IT's place at your table? The comp committee, the people who say how executives are compensated should say, wait a minute, I noticed among the C-suite, the CIO is not one of the CIO, CEO's direct reports. So it ought to start with, remember that the McKinsey thing, you need to educate the non-technical people. It should start with the board. And you know my, my soapbox about the qualified technology expert director. We need to have somebody on a board who can say, these are why we need to do these things. And then ask whether the company's doing those things. Uh, noses in, fingers out. You can't tell them to do much but you can ask them a lot of very pointed questions. And so the CEO should be saying, I recognize that IT needs to be my partner. I recognize IT should be a peer to manufacturing and sales and finance and customer service or whatever. And I recognize now there's the two sides to that. The CIO that could successfully report to the CFO is often not the CIO that you want reporting to the CEO 
and being a peer to the rest of the C-suite. So this is a wrenching change. There are a lot of heads of IT, people with CIO titles that are not educated, trained, and empowered enough to take that leap. So it's not just move somebody up a level and hope they succeed. There's a lot to it. And I've seen my share of CIOs move into that role. I, of course, moved into that role. I've seen CFOs who had their first CFO job. It is a tough transition. And with the right mentoring, the right support, the right organizational dynamic, it's very, you can be very successful. But don't just assume that that person that was comfortable down here can function up here. So I'll say this to the CEO and the CHRO and the board, go find the right leader. And if you read the McKinsey article, you'll see, again, they talk about the importance of having the right IT leadership to be the idea person, to be the strategist who can also keep the IT department running. It's not a trivial job. And a couple of ending things for the CFO. The way we budget IT is broken. Yeah. We say, IT has a budget. I'm the CIO, I have a budget. And my budget includes your ERP system and their CRM system and that new logistics system for the transportation department. Now, that's SG&A. Remember, uh, accounting and, and the CFO's role is SG&A, sales general and administrative. That is a cost containment role. Everybody wants to say, I cut my SG&A by 50 bips. And if you're the CFO and IT reports to you and you're the biggest part of their CFO's budget, guess where they cut? You can, you'd have to cut the whole accounting department to equal one mainframe not being bought in, in IT. Uh, so you tend to be a target. You're the biggest SG&A expense in the company if they see it that way. They see it wrong. I want to make this point to the CEO and the board and the CFO. If I'm putting in a new ERP system for you, the head of manufacturing, is that really SG&A? Is that really sales general and administrative overhead at the corporate level? What if I modernized your assembly line? Would that be SG&A? No, of course not. So isn't a new ERP system modernizing your assembly line? If I've got a new water management system. So we're treating IT as this monolithic pile of SG&A that should be squeezed. Instead of saying uh, the IT budget should be decentralized thoughtfully and carefully so that each business leader is accountable for their technology. Now, I've said this before, as the CIO, I get to set the security, the data, the access standards. Uh, you don't, as a business, decide I don't need to encrypt my data or I'm gonna put it on Bill's computer in his basement. Um, I have to set the architecture standards, but then within them, how you execute needs to be what your business needs most. Um, a, a measure of a company thinking bad about IT is the size, power, and uh, frequency of meeting of their steering committee, their IT steering committee. IT steering committee is where you put all the projects on a list and we say no to most of them. Because IT budgets are set, here's the IT budget, it's this big, and now I get this many projects. I can't get my hands on the camera long enough. And so you wind up having this exercise and politically, thoughtfully saying no, 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 no which causes the business units to go off and do shadow IT. So the CIO, the CFO, and the CEO need to come together and say, there's a new way of thinking about technology. It is an enabler of our business. It is not a pile of overhead that needs to be minimized. It needs to be thoughtfully spent as needed, and the budget should be set within the businesses getting value. So matching principle and accounting. I should put the cost, and I should put the revenue in the same bucket. 
so that I'm matching, I spent this to make this. We're not doing that now. And so I don't want to say IT should be cut loose from the CFO and the CFO should just ride off in the sunset and do something else. The CFO and the CIO should be rethinking the way IT is governed and budgeted. And that's never going to be a sale that a CIO alone can make. The CFO has got to be on board because there's all the gap issues and all the regulatory issues and all the reporting issues. And so the partnership can be terrific, but it works so much better if the CIO and the CFO are peers, not one sitting above the other. Yeah, Wayne, in a, a very fast changing world that is you know, changing in you know, profound ways, we've talked about you know, the org structures of companies, the responsibilities of people in the C-suite. I think that's a brilliant uh, call to action here. The, the, at a time when IT is touching every single part of every organization in every industry, that the IT budgeting process is fundamentally broken as you've described it. So the attempt to try to somehow come out with a better version of a broken system and expect that somehow you're going to be able not just to keep up with what you were doing, but forget about trying to be able to adapt to the new realities, the new market requirements and uh, expectations. It, it's not so great, great stuff there, Wayne. The, the epistle to the CFO uh, it might be called. This is wonderful. Always happy to talk to you and always happy to talk to my peers in industry. It's time people work better together. It's the right time to work better together. There's a mandate that we work better together. And if we don't, we're all going to be left in the dust behind the people who can work better together than we can. <laughs> we'll be saying we would have we would have worked better than they do if we had just been given a chance to, you know, well, it's time now for everybody to take the chance, Wayne. So always, Wayne, fascinating discussions with you. Thank you so much. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Good stuff today. Thanks. My pleasure. Take care. All right, Wayne. Thanks. And to all of you, thanks so much for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. There's still a pretty good chunk of summer left. We're not going to mention how many days, but we'll just call it a good chunk. Have a wonderful time. Uh, and we'll see you again soon here at Cloud Wars Live.